Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Well, this sucks. Yeah, it happens, but uh, you can always redo the podcast too, but it's like, sometimes you just like, you don't have that same uh, organicness to it, you know, like you're kind of trying to like, you had that feeling like, oh, that went really good. Let's try and recap everything. And it doesn't feel like you, you went over it. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to, to redo it. It's not just, it's not as genuine as the first time. No, exactly. So how's things out, uh, out where you are? Um. They're all right. It's uh, sitting beside the big balcony window here today. It's kind of gray and a little overcast this morning. And uh, I was thinking about maybe going out for black bear this weekend, but it was 25 degrees and sunny all week, kind of perfect spring bear weather. And then this weekend rolled around and all of a sudden it's kind of just overcast and rainy and not, uh, not really the best for trying to find bears. It's uh, it's the same type of weather out here, which is not too bad. We've had uh, a pretty dry spring, so here in the Okanagan, that's it's no good. Leads to a smoky summer if we get uh, if we don't get enough rain. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, never, never a whole ton of fun. Out. I was li- when I was living up north, we had the same thing. It was you know you're kind of hoping all spring for rain, and if you didn't get it, you just knew that there were going to be fires, and you spend the whole summer kind of socked in on the the gray overcast but it's it's not cloud yeah so you're out in uh, on vancouver island how long have you been out there uh accumulatively over the past five well i think i've been out here five years accumulatively with a little two-year break in between there i moved here right out of uh high school i graduated high school and headed straight out to the island here and i played football out here and uh just kind of started doing my first jobs and then uh, got my class one license and moved up to Vanderhoof, BC to pursue a job on a logging truck up there and uh, lived up in Vanderhoof in the central interior for the better part of two and a half years before moving back down here. So I've just been home now back to the island for since October of last year. So you're originally uh, a prairie boy though, aren't you? That's right. Yeah. I was uh, born and raised out in Southern Saskatchewan in, uh, in Moose Jaw. My dad was Air Force. And so when I was born, he was posted in Moose Jaw. And then when I was about, uh, I, I'm not even sure if I was actually a year old yet when we moved out to Comox here and, uh, we lived in Comox for a handful of years before moving back to Moose Jaw. And then uh, he was able to kind of work some magic with his job and and not wind up getting posted again. 
And uh, so, yeah, I wound up growing up out in Moose Jaw about 16 years out there. So you lived in Comox for a bit. That's uh, Is that when you guys got into turkey hunting? Um, ironically enough, actually, no, um, we got into, well, I shouldn't speak totally in the we sense, like my, uh, my dad, I'm trying to think now when abouts it was that he got into turkey hunting. I didn't get into it personally until I was about eight years old. Um, and it was when I was living in Saskatchewan that we, uh, we discovered the, the East southeastern corner of bc there had turkeys and we had a family friend of ours that invited us to come down and we did some hunting and that was sort of where i cut my tooth on it um was dad brought me out that way and i did my first come along when i was eight years old and then we just uh we moved forward i've gone pretty well every year since i was eight years old you know give or take a couple of years when school was too busy and wasn't able to make it out and then unfortunately this year, you know, with, uh, with the new COVID regulations on travel, I was unable to, unable to get out there. That's where I should be right now. But eight years old, what was your initial thoughts of turkey hunting as a, as a spectator at eight years old? Um, I remember it being a big learning curve. We had a really interesting year that year. I remember it quite well, actually. It was really, really windy the whole time we were there. And uh, we didn't hardly get on to very many birds that spring. Um, I was hunting with my dad and my, uh, my grandma, actually. And she wound up harvesting a bird um, on the, I can't remember if it was the last day of the hunt or second last day or so, but that was, uh, it was, it, it was an interesting, I just, I think I wasn't quite old enough at the time to be totally, you know, all crazy about it but i remember thinking like you know this is fun i really like this i it was different than i kind of thought it was going to be we had this this game uh i don't know if you would have ever played on the on these games like in the late 90s early 2000s there was a deer hunter 5 and uh bird hunter wild wings edition and on the bird hunter wild wings edition you could hunt turkey on there and uh it was funny because like being an older 90s game like you kind of went out and it was like every time that you blew the locator call on that game you you heard a turkey somewhere type thing and you went and chased after him and I remember kind of having this impression that that was sort of what it was going to be like was you just went out and and blew the call and found him but uh yeah but you know as (laughs) as I'm sure as you soon learned yeah I get it yeah quite like that and so you know but i i can't uh i don't think it would be honest to me to say you know i was totally addicted from it right from the bat because i think it took a couple years uh, you know beginning to really understand it but i definitely i know i definitely loved it and i i really enjoyed it and stuff the, how, old were you, how old were you when you got to uh to get out on your own hunt like with a gun well i i'm trying to remember if it was 10 10 or 11 yeah, 10 years old. It's when you're able to do the the youth license in BC, which I believe is 10 when you yep. when you dad's you know you shoot dad's bag limit. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, and I I came out and so I guess yeah, it would have been 2 years after my first come along and uh I was able to harvest a really really nice longbeard actually on uh one of the first kind of mornings that we were out. I bet and that was- changed your uh Change your mind on turkey hunting a little bit, eh? Oh, a hundred percent. And and realistically, actually, if I, I can track it back, the the moment that I really, I think, really cut my tooth on it was likely the next season after my first, because I had gone back, um, you know, after the first come along, and Dad introduced me to calling on the. He had an old slate, um, old slate call that I sat down, and there's pictures of me sitting on the back deck in the heat of the Saskatchewan summer playing with the, with the slate call. And by the time the next season had come around, I had already worked up to the diaphragm mouth call and uh, was able to actually help my dad call a bird in. 
And then I think that that is really, I could probably trace it back to that is where I really cut my tooth on turkey hunting. It's the, it wasn't actually for sure, like a hundred percent. I, you know, I really got it in my blood when I shot my first one, but I think that calling the birds in for me is more of a thrill than actually harvesting them myself. I, I personally have only harvested, I think five birds in the, you know, I've been hunting them for 15 yeah, 15 or yes, this year would have been 16 years, but, uh, but to me, it's like, I, I've, I couldn't tell you how many birds I've called in They uh, and that's where I really get my, get my fix with it is I, I really love the guiding side and, and calling birds in for family members and friends and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you there. Calling them in and, and getting them to, to respond. And it's definitely one of the, the funner parts of turkey hunting. And, and just the, uh, I've always found like with the Miriams, cause you're typically hunting them in such dense, uh, mm-hmm. dense areas. And I've always said, as a rule, you want to set yourself up with these birds. Cause they're just, they're the king of the 70 yard hang up. You know, if you put him in a situation where he gets the chance to see you before shotgun range, it typically doesn't end as harmoniously as you would like. And, uh, so a lot of what calling these birds in is, you know, you're just going by ear and listening as he gets closer and closer. And then the gobbles turn to drumming and you're just trying, you know, trying to figure out where he oh, when he does pop his head up, you know, and, and that, you know, I, I think that that's the coolest, the coolest part is the fact that you're typically, you know, you don't get to see until it's go time on the trigger for the most part. Yeah. So living out in Saskatchewan, did you guys hunt deer and stuff out there? Yeah. You, you, you must have. Yeah. Coming from the land of monster bucks. Yeah, that's, that's right. We, uh, in the area that we hunted was kind of down near the, uh, near the Montana border and North and, uh, North Dakota border. And, uh, it, we it, like the the whitetail hunting down there wasn't it wasn't the the classic Saskatchewan monster whitetails like we got a, a a lot of really nice bucks up in like that one thirty five class, um, but never really saw very much that crested over that like up into the one forties or fifties. Yeah, that you typically see in like the northern central to northern part of Saskatchewan. I I know that up there they get some they get some pretty monster bucks. Yeah. But the, uh, the, the mule deer hunting though, for sure. Like we, we get some really nice mule deer down there and, uh, Saskatchewan, it's kind of neat with Saskatchewan. It's, it's six and a half a dozen in the sense that as a non-resident, you're only eligible to hunt whitetails in Saskatchewan. And so it's kind of, it, it makes it nice for the residents that the mule deer is kind of locked in as like, it's, you know, that's just for the residents of Saskatchewan, but it is a bit of a, you know, bit of a pain that I can't go and hunt mule deer with my dad in Saskatchewan. But. So that was, uh, what was your first buck? Mule deer, whitetail? It was a whitetail. Yeah. The, uh, the mule deer tag, we, it was on a, on a limited entry. Oh yeah. I got you. They, in Saskatchewan, they've got a pool system. So it starts it, your first year that you apply, you're in a pool. And if you're unsuccessful that year, you go into super a, and then the year that you draw the following year after your draw, you go down to D pool and then work your way up. So typically it took you, it was about the odds were about once every three years, you draw the mule deer tag. And then, you know, of course that kind of fluctuates based numbers and stuff but um yeah my my first year was a a little three by three or i guess four if you're counting the brow times a little uh little white tail buck i think he's somewhere around the 97 or 100 boone and crockett yes good buck yeah no it was really great i remember uh i remember i remember that hunt pretty well actually i was using my dad's 243 and it was an perfect little spot and stock through a field we spotted him decided he was a shooter and i think i can't remember if it was the last day that we were able to hunt or second last day or something but stocked up and got to 250 and dad's uh there's a bit of a tradition in our family that you you harvest your first year with your dad's first rifle so i was using his uh, it's a savage model 110 243 left-handed 
Oh yeah. yeah. That's cool. Are you left-handed? No, uh, my dad and my brother are both left-handed, but I'm, uh, I'm the odd one out of the household. I was right-handed. Oh yeah. And you're still able to harvest the deer. That's pretty good. Cause I I've tried to shoot left-handed and there's no way I can't even hit a target at hundred yards. I don't know why. Terrible. Yeah. I shot right-handed just with the left-handed bolt. Oh, I see. Gotcha. Yeah. Laying down on the bipod. I believe it was 249 yards and, uh, yeah, 180, no, sorry, 95 grain nozzler ballistic tip at 250 yards or so did the job. So when you guys would come out for turkeys, that was always in the springtime? That's right. Yeah. I've actually, personally, I've never done a fall turkey hunt. Um, it just, you know, my thing with the turkey is the spring, you know, hunting in, I don't know if you call it the rut or whatever, but, you know, hunting in the mating season and calling them in. And, you know, I, I may be wrong and maybe just misled, but the, the fall turkey hunt is really not as much calling. It's more it's sort of patterning and, and getting in on the pattern. And, I, I, you know, it just, it doesn't really get me excited. It, and that might be just out of a little bit of negligence, but for me, it's the spring turkey is what uh, is what really excited. Yeah, I I won't even hunt turkeys if it's not in the rut. I don't know. I I've never even come across anybody that hunts them in the fall. I uh, yeah, pretty pretty it, tough to get a turkey in the fall. Well, it, exactly. And like I've heard some people talk about doing it with dogs, where they they have their dog trained to run in and bust up the flock. And then they bring, they bring the dog back at a heel and then call as if they're a lost pool and call in, call in a hen or kind of try to regather the flock and, the, and having some success to that. But it doesn't, it, it, there's just something about it, you know, it doesn't quite excite me the same way about it as, you know, as gobbler and bringing him in, you know, that it's just got that different, uh, that different vibe to it. Yeah. So you've always just come out West to hunt Merriam's? Um, for the most part. Yeah. I have, uh, on one occasion I hunted down in Florida. I went down and shot an Osceola down there. Um, we did a family trip. My dad took my brother and I down there and we hunted, uh, hunted Osceola's amidst a Disneyland trip. Depending on where you ask, it was a hunting trip that we did Disneyland or it was a Disneyland trip that we did some hunting. What (laughs) What about the Eastern bird living out there? Did you ever go East and chase them out towards Ontario? No, you know, we never did. Um, BC was easy because dad's got lots of family. Well, I mean, I have lots of family out this way and, uh, and we had some connections here. Whereas out East, and the other thing to be mentioned there too, is it's relatively simple for a non-resident because turkeys are labeled as game. So in order to come out and hunt turkey, all you have to do here is pay the pay the hunting license and yeah, you, you just pay the 75 bucks it's i think it is for us for a, a bird license yeah it's something like that and so it was pretty simple you know you don't need a hunter host you don't need anything whereas to go to manitoba and because there's easterns in manitoba and then obviously as you get to ontario you got the birds there but if i remember correctly one of the big kind of hang-ups was that you needed to can't remember if it was that you needed a hunter host or that you needed um to do a hunter safety course from I, th- I think it was ontario actually that in order to hunt turkey you had to do a special turkey hunter safety course like it was a turkey oh, really course. <laughs> i i might be i might be wrong on that one but i remember something about that kind of thing and uh it just kind of between us not having good friends in Ontario to get us in on it and also kind of not really having the time to go and sit down and do a turkey hunting course there, it kind of, um, it, it made it just a little bit like, why would we do that when we can just go hunt Miriam's, you know? You know, there's what, six subspecies of the wild turkey in North America? We got the... Well, uh, well, five and then one. I I don't actually know how the oscillated sits in there because it's not, if I understood it correctly, it's not a proper subspecies. It's actually a separate species of sorts. I, I oh, made, is that right? Huh. Uh, 
I, I, if I remember correctly, it is not a subspecies of turkey. Like it's like, it's like their cousins or something like that. Because of your 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 five recognized subspecies are the Eastern, the Osceola, the Rio Grande, the Miriams, and the Gould are the five subspecies. And then whenever you talk about the oscillated, it's always talked on like sort of another playing field. Like they are separate. I'd be interested. Oh, shit. I always thought it was, uh, I always thought it was part of the subspecies. So, yeah. <laughs> and I, I may be wrong. I, and I, I'm willing to eat some crow on that one, but I, I I'm going to go with, I don't think so. I believe that it is in itself, its own, whether it's its own species or how exactly that works but there I, I know that there is a little bit of a different um it's like where all the all the turkeys all sort of have the same uh genetic code between you know a rio and a miriams are genetically very close but just a different variant whereas i believe that the osceola actually has separate D, or sorry the oscillated actually has separate dna Cool. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so back to the Miriams. Yeah. Who, uh, hunting Miriam turkeys is, you know, talking to a lot of guys who hunt a lot of birds all over the United States and, you know, a few in Canada. The Miriams are the hardest of all the turkey subspecies to hunt. Now, coming to the Kootenays makes it even harder just because of the topography. So that's why I was yeah. kind of curious of, you know, why you guys decided to come out west when, you know, um, you could go out to hunt maybe a little easier bird and, and go out uh, east. But uh, yeah, if you got it, if you know people out here, that's, you know, I think that was a big part of it. Right. And, uh, and we've got family where we hunt and it's, it just kind of, it worked out that way. And plus from Moose Jaw, it was only a nine hour drive or nine or 10 hour drive to get there. And uh, whereas to go out through to Manitoba and across over to, um, over to Ontario. And, and I should note too, that I think at the time when, you know, we go back 15 years ago, I'm not certain how great the, uh, the Turkey population was in Manitoba at the time, because it, you know, it was right next door to us. And actually my mom's family is from the Winnipeg Portage area. And so that would have been a viable option, but I think you could also trace that a big part of it was back kind of before social media presence. And so it's not like you could just hop on, you know, a hunting forum and say, Hey, are there lots of turkeys around? Mm -hmm. You know, my dad had hunted. Um, I know that he hunted Turkey long before we were hunting them in BC because he had gone down and he'd hunted in Texas and he'd gone and done, done his grand slam already a couple times before oh, we nice. started BC. And, uh, and on that note, this was kind of the, I believe that this was sort of the first time that he had ever heard of a huntable population of Turkey in Canada. And so he kind of just jumped on it. So um, he's been, uh, he's been hunting Turkey for quite a while then. Yeah, absolutely. He, uh, he's done his world slam. He just did the oscillated, uh, not last year. What is it now? Time's kind of slipping away on me here. I'm too young for this, but uh, <laughs> it, it happens, man. Comes quick. Goes yeah. quick. <laughs> um, I believe it was two years ago and maybe three that he did his os oscillated hunt, but I can't remember the exact number, but it's actually because most people shoot a whole schwack of Easterns and it's like, they need, you know, they need a couple more Miriams or they need a couple more Osceolas in order to go for, you know, a second and third lap on their, on their grand slams. So the grand slam is the four, the Eastern, the Osceola, the Rio and the Miriams. And then for the Royal slam, you shoot the Gould. And for the world slam, you shoot the oscillated, all six. But the grand slam is just the four normal ones, the Eastern, Osceola, Miriams, and Rio. And he has enough of each of those four subspecies, except for the Eastern, which is kind of the oddball out. Normally people have a whole bunch of Easterns because they're like the most populated of the birds. 
Um, I believe that he has enough. The next lowest common denominator, I think, is four. Like, I think he's got enough to have three or four grand slams. Wow. He just shoots a couple more Easterns. Right. Because there was a time when the Easterns, they were in trouble. Oh, they, they, wasn't there? Huge trouble. Yeah. They were actually extirpated from many of the states down in the United States. And a big part, of, I, I was just doing some reading on this a little while ago and listening to some podcasts. The reason why they were in such trouble um, was, I mean, aside from the fact of, you know, being very ruthlessly hunted, you know, songs management, um, they, uh, where the other birds, the Miriams, the Rios, and the Osceolas were able to be trapped and transferred using drop nets where they, like in a cartoon, they suspend the net over some food and just cut the lines and drop it. The Easterns were reluctant to stand underneath the nets. Um, and so until the invention of the rocket nets and the net cannons, that were able to shoot them up and over the birds, they actually had next to no ways of trapping and transferring these birds to kind of kickstart the population. Um, and so they had tried a whole bunch of different things between uh, tr- having domestic eastern hens in pens that the gobblers were able to fly in and breed and stuff like that but the pools never made it because the domestic hen couldn't give them the the instincts that they needed and stuff like that it, it was a big deal and then eventually when the rocket nets came out and the nwtf did uh, now what's the nwtf the nwtf is the national wild turkey federation so they're like our american cousin if you will, they're the, the, uh, the Americans version of their, of their wild Turkey Federation. And they, uh, they are responsible for all of the, uh, excuse me, all of the repopulation of the birds down in the States. And I was, I was saying just before we had our little blip there that the um, it's, it's not even actually proper to say that they brought the Turkey population back to what it was because they've actually far um, surpassed what the original marker was. They they have brought the turkey back and then some more to the fact that now, aside from Alaska, there is a huntable and manageable population of wild turkey in every single state in the United States, even up to Hawaii, actually. Wow. Yeah, it's um it's it's crazy, actually, when you think of it that way to go from, you know, the 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 NWTF really did the they did exactly what conservation is supposed to be you know recognizing a problem and and fixing it and yeah, fixing so, it and leaving it better than you know leaving it better than where they found it so where's the cwtf fit into all this now for people who don't know the cwtf is the canadian wild turkey federation um so in the sense of like in, I believe it was in the late nineties, the national wild Turkey Federation had chapters up here in British Columbia. And I believe in Ontario as well. I, I may be wrong on that. Um, but they had branches that were in the Canadian sector that were kind of trying to work and they're, and they're part of the reason of why the, uh, the Turkey population sort of spread throughout Southern BC. But then after a little while, I, I don't know exact dates on it, but after a little while, the, the NWTF pulled from Canada and there was sort of a lull period there before the Canadian Wild Turkey Federation was founded. And the Canadian Wild Turkey Federation was founded essentially to do the same things that the NWTF was doing, which is to, to be a new face of con- conservation in Canada. And, uh, and to work on the same way that I always explain it is we do the same thing that Ducks Unlimited does for the waterfowl in the sense that when you look at, it's not just that we care. It's not just the Ducks Unlimited cares for ducks. You know, they do all, all uh, waterfowl and all wetland stuff. Right. And the same way the Wild Turkey Federation, we, you know, our primary goal is working with the turkey and trying to get the turkey, especially in BC. My biggest thing is, is getting it recognized 
as a game bird and as a, uh, a viable source of income and something for the, you know, the government to pay some attention to. And, but on the side note too, we, you know, I aim to, uh, to do as much as I can to try and get all sort of uplands things better, you know, working on habitat enhancement for upland birds of all sorts, whether it be turkeys or pheasants or grouse. And in return that, you know, winds up helping the, uh, the ungulates and helping kind of everybody around in the same way that, you know, the national wild Turkey Federation and ducks unlimited and all those people help, um, all the populations around them. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So when did, when did you get hooked up with the, uh, CWTF? Uh, I believe it was two years ago. Now I got, uh, got in contact with Terry Smith from the, from he's the president of the CWTF of all of us. And, uh, I, I can't remember exactly how I wound up getting, on the horn with him, but we wound up getting chatting and he kind of said, well, you know, we don't have any chapters out in British Columbia. There's, there's nothing here. So what would you think about starting a chapter? And, and I had actually, uh, I had contacted him to try and because I wanted to, I originally wanted to get in and become a member and see if there was a chapter near me. And when he said, well, we have no, you know, we have no chapters here. I said, well, uh, you know, I volunteer I'll start chapter and so I started the uh the my chapter encompasses all of BC I just started the a provincial chapter um and so sort of aim is trying to kind of root out people in different regions who are willing to start their own local chapters and kind of trying to just spread the word of Turkey as it is right now because I as I'm sure you know living in BC is that Turkey actually right now is still labeled as an invasive species, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're, they're not being recognized as well. They are recognized as a game bird, but it's, uh, you know, they're, they're treated as vermin kind of the same way the whitetails are being treated in BC. It's like the, the government just doesn't really seem to, it's like they think, well, because they're invasive, they don't deserve it's this, you know, I don't like putting words in other pieces of people's mouth, but it seems that sort of the, the vibe is that, you know, they're invasive, they're not supposed to be here. So we don't have to manage them properly. And we don't have to, you know, treat them with the same respect that we treat the mule deer and the grouse. Um, Whereas, so that's kind of what I'm, you know, my goals and things that I'm aiming for with, uh, with this is that I'm trying to get, for example, one of my things I'm gunning for is trying to get a tag implemented for, for Turkey here. So what benefit would that do for, for wild Turkey having it uh, as? Well, the, the primary thing is you've got, uh, you've got more revenue now coming, you know, you put an $8 tag on it. And so now there's, uh, you know, that's $8 a pop for people who are coming and hunting the turkeys here. I think that it would, in my mind, it would reduce some of the incidental harvests. And I, I often use lynx as my example for this is that I, I consider myself a predator hunter of sorts. I enjoy coyote hunting and, uh, you know, and I would shoot a lynx if I had the tag in my pocket. And I was ready to go, but because I'm not like a dedicated, you know, dedicated predator hunter in the sense of like, I don't go for cougar. I don't have dogs. I'm not, you know, I don't eat, sleep and breathe it. I'm not really, I don't really care to purchase the $8 links tag. And because of that, it kind of, you're, you're removing these incidental harvests of guys that are spring bear hunting. And they just kind of see the turkey on the side of the road and he's got his 22, so he shoots it. So mm-hmm. it's sort of a population thing for me is I'm thinking that, you know, it kind of helps the population and and it forces the, the, the government to recognize, okay, like turkeys, they're here now and this is a source of income that we can make off of them. 
And so how, we, how long does it take for a critter to get, to get declassified as an invasive species? I mean, you well, figure by now the turkey would be, you would wouldn't, think, be wouldn't be considered I, an invasive species. I don't have an answer for you on that one. I, I have no clue, but I'm in the same boat, right? It's like, okay, like the thing is, is that regardless of whether or not they are an invasive species or not is kind of a moot point in my mind. It's that, you know, like they're here, regardless of whether you want to call them invasive or if you want to call them native or, you know, or, or what have you, they're here. And it's, and it's a, it's a manageable population, something that you could be managing and using to make money for the government and make money for conservation. But instead they're, they're just sweeping it under the rug and saying, no, uh, one, one a year bag limit and anybody can come and hunt them. And, you know, no, no problem. No, no issue. And so I, what's so what's the so what's all involved of with the process of getting tags applied to a turkey hunt? Oh, I you know honestly, I've just kind of I'm just in the conversations stage right now. I was just speaking with a guy from the Lower Mainland who works as a guide. He has his own guiding outfit, and him and I were talking about beginning this this project. I'm I'm not because I've I've heard this come up before uh, a number of times, and um you know, over the last couple of years, I've, I've heard of it and that it never seemed to go anywhere. I, I remember a poll that was out there asking if you'd support uh, paying for a tag for a turkey hunt. But I mean, I agree. Yeah. I, I personally don't like, unfortunately in British Columbia, the money that we pay for tags, it doesn't all get cycled back into the wildlife management. I mean, that's something no, we need to work on as a promise. But I like what you said there about just having that $8 tag in your pocket and not having it would eliminate somebody just randomly shooting a bird that they have. And, you know, and there's that aspect of it that, so now right there, you've sort of, you've eliminated what I call the incidental harvest. Like I say, he's hunting black bear and he's like, Oh, you know, Turkey's open. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bury the It 20th. happens. Yep. And it happens. Yep. And so you, you eliminate that. Or the other thing that you're doing is you're getting people to put skin in the game. You know, he puts eight bucks in and eight bucks is eight bucks. But, you know, when I spend eight bucks on something, I'm like, okay, I kind of want to increase my, my odds here. I, now that I've got some skin in the game, I kind of want to do things that I can to make sure that I get it better. And so he may be more interested in, you know, maybe say he contacts CWTF or he goes on YouTube and he says, you know, how do I hunt Turkey? You know, and he realizes that like, I guess where this stems from for me is I know so many people who I've run into while Turkey hunting who are just out on their quad with their 22 and they just, they, all they see is just a big grouse. And their whole thing is, is they just, they're like, Oh yeah, I just shoot them on the side of the road when I see them. And it, and it drives me a little nuts. Cause I'm like, Oh, like you just, you don't understand. Like this thing is a bull elk, you know, yeah. like this is, the most heart pounding adrenaline. Like if, if you forced me to only hunt one animal for the rest of my life, I'd be, I'd be choosing Turkey. It'd be hard to put. Mule right. deer wow. Elk. What about elk? No elk, no I, big horns. That, you know, there's, there is the aspect. If you could promise me that I'd get to you know, every year bugle in a bull elk, that might be a hard, hard decision to make. But I, I got to be honest, I think Turkey takes it. Like, I just, I I don't know what I would do without, I'm already going stir crazy this spring here, not being them right now. Do you, do you think Turkey hunting is gaining popularity? I believe it is. Um, it seems like I, it is. seems like I, a, there's a lot more I, mugs getting involved in it. I hope it does. I, I, and, I And that's part of, you know, what I'm kind of trying to do with the CWTF here. And COVID has made it really hard in you know like in where i'd like to be out there spreading the word and talking to people like that and going to get going to outdoor shows and getting people signed up and you know and and just really out doing boots to the ground doing the boot work and then you know this whole pandemic kind of showed up and and made it feel like a really stalling like you know now i gotta wait and whatever but i you know once we're able to get out to you know outdoor shows and gun shows and stuff like that i'm, I'm really going to be working on 
bringing awareness out there and stuff. And, and that's part of, you know, if we circle back to that, the tag thing, right. Is that you get people's skin in the game. He wants to dedicate a little bit more time to learning how to do it. He has his first bird come into the calling and, you know, gets his adrenaline going. And he says, Hey dude, like you got to go. I know you're skeptical about it, but pay the eight bucks, get your Turkey tag. And, and I want to show you this, you know, and, and, you know, and you kind of get people into it that way. And I get that maybe there's a little bit of the, the fairy tale in my head that that's how it's going to happen. But the other thing is, too, is that, you know, say you remove the incidental harvests and now the turkey harvest numbers go down, they're going to be able to up the number of harvestable birds or up the bag limit for the people who are dedicated to doing it and love it. So now instead of just one bird a year when I drive to the Kootenays, I may be able to go out and harvest, you know, manage a two a bird year. Yeah, um, that's one thing that that drives me nuts is the, well, it doesn't drive me nuts. I get it. But um, you're allowed one bird in the spring and one in the fall. And man, it would be nice if you could harvest two in the spring because one bird, I mean, I've had years where luckily got them on first on the first day of the, of the season. And man, it sure did suck after that. <laughs> Exactly, because then you're around like, well, now what? Yeah, exactly. Um, and or you know, just put the limit to a year, right? Yeah. Regardless of what it be, because the population, you know, monitored as is right now. Sure, they can do surveys and stuff like stuff like that. But I mean, having tags, I think, is a way easier way to regulate it. The other thing is too, is that if we just dedicate a tag to it you now have to have a hunter host to come uh, interprovincially. And I get that, you know, that's um, might be a little selfish of me or, or what, whatever it, you know, because maybe there are people in Alberta that come and do it every year and they don't have family here to host them or whatever. Yeah. You might, but, uh, you might stir up some feuds in your family there. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, is we have enough family out here to, to do all the hosting that we need to do. And, and I get that there is a, you know, I'm going to have to figure a better way to do that. The biggest thing for me is I would just like to see, you know, it's like you said, no, not all the money from the tag goes back towards the conservation side of things, but at the moment it's more, you know, it would be more than at the moment because at the moment yeah. there's Right. Right. Um, yep. And yeah. So the biggest thing is I think by putting people's skin in the game and making them pay $8 to, you know, eight bucks to play. And then they want to kind of up it. They learn pulling, they learn about using decoys and stuff like that. It becomes more interesting. You're just kind of in my mind, it would raise as long as, you know, the people who learn about it, learn about, like I said, the fact they've got a bull elk screaming in their face. Um, they, you know, it's just going to raise the whole value of the hunt more. And in, and, you know, more people will be interested in doing proper conservation with it. You know, once they recognize the value of the bird and it's not just a super grouse anymore. Right. Right. I get it. Yep. So you initiated uh, back to your chapter here, you initiated the BC chapter. How many chapters are there out there? Um, quite a few. Currently, there's just two. There's oh. the oh, the whole the whole chapter, the whole sorry the whole province chapter, and then there's the uh, the chapter down in the Kamloops area that Dwayne Chaffee runs. It's uh, I can't remember if it's Kelowna or what the name of his chapter is, but he uh, Dwayne Chaffee is the name of the president of that one, and he's down. I know that he's from Kelowna. So, what's the role of of the chapters is it just to help create awareness for the cwtf create awareness is a big one and then as uh you know of course it's kind of hard one to answer with covid right now but you know in if we put ourselves in a perfect world where you know we're allowed to do everything that you're normally allowed to do we'll have banquets we'll have you know raffles giveaways we'll be doing i'm really interested in doing the calling contests and um you know, it's essentially everything that you see Ducks Unlimited do, we'll do. We're going to work on doing, you know, once the financial side of things is available, we'll work up to doing habitat enhancement projects. And, you know, if the chapter has, you know, 
millions in the bank, you know, in a perfect world, I'd buy property and have it dedicated to the turkeys and, you know, the same way Ducks Unlimited does, right? And, uh, you know, that's, that's the future goal. And what I would love to see this, you know, my chapter specifically develop into is, you know, trying to do everything we can to make turkeys better for everybody. But uh, for the time being, it boots on the ground, just talking turkey and getting, uh, you know, getting things recognized and just trying to have conversations like you and I are having right now and spread awareness. And, you know, if if I could have, you know, just three people hear this podcast and say, oh, well, OK, so gr- turkey isn't just super gross. Like I can call them in and stuff, uh, you know, that's good enough for me for now. Right. I just want uh I want to see the birds flourish and do as well as we can get them to do here in BC and, and uh, well, and in Canada, not just in BC and, you know, have people learn what they are and what a joy and passion it can be to hunt these birds the same way I did, you know, when I was little. So you said buy lands. Now, what do you mean by buy lands? Like what, for those who don't know the, how does it work when Ducks Unlimited, they purchase, you know, a specific set uh, area of land, I should say. Um, what's the drive behind that? Well, so the way we, you know, in my head, we would do it is you'd purchase, purchase whatever, like it'd be a, a section of land or, or where we, you know, and you would then since you own the land, you can do things to that land to enhance it, to make it a better nesting area for the birds. So it's now public or sorry, private land that, you know, you can regulate and fence off so that people can't go in and disturb it. And you can do habitat enhancement by, you know, making a better, a, a better roosting area for the birds or making a better rearing area for the pools. And, uh, you know, essentially over time, you can buy up more property and make better habitat for the animals. Um, so just, yeah, just creating better habitat lands. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the Ducks Unlimited, they do it the same way that they'll purchase farmer's fields and uh, dig, you know, dig a big section to add in a new pond that the bird in an area that's been a dry area that the birds need or you know same thing like making new nesting areas or they'll pay off farmers to plant i remember one of the big ones being they'll plant they'll pay off farmers to plant winter rye because winter rye is a great feed source and i believe that the ducks will nest in it um and just the things like essentially just doing things to try and get the, to try and make the birds lives easier. Gotcha. As a chapter, like a BC chapter, your chapter, are you guys concerned more with your local issues or do you stay focused on specific issues that say the CWTF is mandating? Like what's happening in BC doesn't necessarily, you know, it's not going to be the same as what the Eastern birds are facing. Right. So is it, is that, is that, part of the primary role of each chapter is to kind of focus on more of what is happening in their region. I think that there's definitely a certain, you know, pull together aspect of it that, you know, when Facebook and social media is a huge part of what we do. Um, And at the moment, you know, especially with the pandemic, it's been a big way that we communicate and kind of get things done. And so if, I see, you know, one of the New Brunswick chapters posts something on Facebook. I'm likely to share it, you know, and put it out there just to get more people seeing it type thing. Um, But I think that there is a certain, you know, your chapter, I'd say 80% of what your chapter does is sort of focused on your own area and working on your own projects. But there is definitely a huge part of pull together and we are a federation as a, as a whole. Um, But for now sure. the Canadian Wild Turkey Federation, it must, yeah, it, you know, it, like it must help you guys out a lot. How or how does it help you, each chapter, say the BC chapter, with what you're working on specifically? Um, like, do they help you out, you know, in a monetary sense when oh, they can? For for example, a banquet. Terry has the president. You know, he has said, if you want to do a banquet, you just let me know, and we'll send you the stuff that you need for your banquet. 
Like that's, they are, you know, the mothership is definitely fully supportive of the, of the, the chapters below it. Um, And same thing too. Like, you know, if I had a chapter out in wherever, like, you know, say Dwayne wants to put on a, um, a raffle, I would, and he, I had something he needed for it or whatever. I would for sure send it out to him and help him out. And, and, you know, we work as a community and try and work together to get things, uh, get things for each other and make each other's lives easier. I I have a hard time kind of coming up with specific examples, but yeah, no, that's okay. Now. So now when you guys do fundraiser, does that money stay within the chapter or does it go back to the CWTF? Like how does that work? It depends on what level the, uh, the fundraiser is at. Like we recently just had a, a raffle um, for a gun that came from the top. And Terry told me that when you sell the tickets, it stays the, the tickets that you sell stay within your chapter. Um, but then they may have one where the money is going back to the whole CWTF. And of course, like within each, chapter two if i host a raffle like say like i said if i have a compound bow and i raffle it off for the chapter that money would stay within my chapter um and use it whatever you know putting it towards a banquet or or what have you to buy another gun for a raffle or um giveaways and stuff like i you know i've got lots of ideas for things that i'd like to be able to do with my chapter um that i just as a chapter, are you guys, uh, are you guys, do you guys take on members? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You can just go online to the Canadian wild turkey federation.ca and sign up. And there's a little thing there to put which chapter you are from or which chapter you are or where Oh, I get it. Yeah. Whatever your local, your closest local chapter type of thing. And we have a magazine that we're going to be putting, well, that we do already put out. I was kind of talking to Terry. I'd like to see it um, more frequently. Like at the moment, it's quarterly. Um, I'd, you know, I'd like to see every, every month have a new chapter, but of course that takes a lot of dedication from the writers and stuff. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot, a lot more to that. I guess like anything, it, uh, it's, uh, it takes time. And like you said before, this, uh, this current pandemic we're in is, uh, it's not helping anything, but uh, a lot of things. And, and unfortunately, like we were, you know, we were just in the baby steps of getting going here when, when all of a sudden this pandemic started. And so it's kind of like, it's a little frustrating that haven't really been able to do much. Like it's kind of been, kind of been at a bit of a stall for me anyhow personally there were some other chapters that have been you know they're already more set up and we're already had the ball rolling and going and so it made it you know I think they've been having a little bit of an easier time but myself personally I I had just kind of got the ball rolling and just got things organized when all of a sudden this uh this pandemic came along and it's kind of made it hard to to keep the ball rolling anyhow yeah and it's hard to see an end to it i mean i know in ontario those man they're getting hammered out there with not only cases but restrictions it's yeah it's crazy oh it's definitely it's a very political issue you know and i think uh i you know i just i i hope that the end is in sight you know now that the vaccinations are here and now that we're uh you know i I'm hoping that we're seeing the end, the light at the end of the tunnel here and things can get back to normal and we'll, you know, gather again, but. Yeah. So when that light does come, you, uh, what kind of planned fundraisers or events um, can we be hopeful to see? I would love to do um, like a, a banquet of sorts, like a gather again banquet and, it'd be easier to do. Like if I can, I'm going to start reaching out to the different communities and starting, you know, some dialogue and get people talking in different areas about starting their own chapters and then, you know, sort of hopefully help coordinate and start. I think the biggest thing would be banquets, um, get people together, get people out. You know, we haven't been able to gather and see faces and laugh and, <laughs> and breathe the same air in, you know, the better oh, well. half now. Right. And so, 
it would be really nice to get a banquet together. I, I'm thinking that specifically, you know, I, I'd love to see a college competition. I'd love to see, uh, you know, gun raffles and get togethers and shoots and stuff like that. But I think the at the end of a pandemic where we haven't been allowed to sit six feet from each other, you know, or within six feet of each other, I think that a banquet would be the most, uh, you know, the most appropriate thing in that sense of, you know, we've been in the dark and sitting and not allowed to see each other. So let's, let's sit down, eat and feast together and tell stories of the hunting trips that you did get to get together for and, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed we can, uh, we can get to do that in 2021. Yeah, you bet. I'm, I'm hoping that by this, by this fall, you know, I'm hoping that we'll get to be COVID free for hunting season here. There's a part of me that has a feeling that that's a little optimistic, but uh, yeah, I like plus optimism. Absolutely. So living out in BC now, you must, uh, must get to spend uh, a fair bit of time hunting other critters. I do. Yeah. I, uh, recently I've been doing trips to the interior up in the Kamloops region, actually hunting mule deer. And, uh, I'm my big focus. I've got a group of really good buddies here that, uh, we all are big, you know, all big into hunting, big outdoorsmen. And, uh, we kind of, we alternate focuses from year to year. I, uh, I like, like last year we drew some moose tags. So last year was kind of moose year and we went pretty hard on year. And this year we all kind of decided that we're going to do archery, uh, elk. Mm -hmm. So our focus this year is we're going to do elk hunting and out in the the boonies. Yeah, I'm thinking so. We haven't really, it's, you know, with it being LEH season right now, I think one of these nights here pretty quick, we're going to have a bit of an LEH party socially Mm -hmm. course and sit down and all kind of talk through and work out what we'd like to apply for and where we'd like to go and kind of decide like the big thing being is with us being Islanders, have the chance to draw the Roosevelt tag. And so it kind of makes it, it's always a hard decision on how you're going to apply for elk because the Roosevelt tag is essentially a once in a lifetime tag. Like your odds of drawing that thing are like the, the best odds that I've seen were like one in 60, I think. And that was like for a cow tag for the bull tags. You're already up into the eighties and hundreds, one in hundreds. And there are some tags that are like, I believe the Bacon Lake tag here is one in 300 something. Like they're, they're once in a lifetime tags. Whereas you can go and apply for elk in other places that make it, you know, you're, you're more likely to draw the tag, but it's not as, um, it's, you know, it's not, it's not as special of a tag, if you will. Yeah, I get uh, it. So, so yeah, anyhow, I think we'll, we'll figure out where we're going to apply for elk and, but if everybody just kind of says, ah, let's just apply for the Roosevelt tag and we're likely to none of us draw it, then I think we'll just go kind of hunt out wherever, figure out wherever the next kind of best place for over the counter bull elk is. And uh, yeah, that's our, that's our primary goal this year. We're doing, like I said, this year is elk year, but I'm also, I'm come up and chase some mule deer. I've got another buddy. I think we're going to go up to the Williams Lake area and go do an archery, like a late August, you know, whenever archery opens in that zone, do an archery mule deer hunt. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I like to keep myself pretty open in the fall, but my two main passions in the fall anyhow are, I I love spot and stock mule deer. Um, And and I'd love to, you know, I'm really, especially this year, I'm really excited to um, an, an archery elk hunt or, well, an elk hunt period. But I think I'd really like to get it done with the bow. I just bought myself a new bow uh, four days ago. I got a Hoyt Power Max. Oh, yeah. I've actually, to, to be honest, I've actually never harvested a big game animal with my bow. Um, oh, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I can totally see 
and understand the the excitement of it with getting in that close and have it how much practice you have to put on before you're able to do that um but uh yeah no i've been shooting for quite a few years but this year is going to be the year I think i'm going to go really hard on archery i think i'm going to be the guy this year that while everybody else is rifle hunting i'm still trying to get it done with my bow <laughs> i've been there buddy been there but uh i guess I heard you say to me before that uh, you look forward to turkey hunting 360 days of the year. So I guess oh, tur- turkey is your big one, eh? Yeah. No spring I, turkey. Yeah, spring turkey. And I, I'm, you know, I'm not the most phenomenal of moods with this COVID stuff. Not, not letting yeah. me. <laughs> so what a bummer. That's. Uh, and the worst part was is that like because I work a camp job, and uh, I. I had it planned out that I, I got out last Wednesday and I was going to get off work, hop in my truck with my friend, and we were going to drive out to the Kootenays, drive all night, hunt for five days. She took two days off work. We were going to hunt for four days and then come back home. And I was going to have my turkey fix and then still have a couple days home to you know do my chores. And the day before, it was Tuesday, when we found out about all these travel restrictions and stuff like that. And so I had evening of the night was <laughs> that was painful i don't i don't know what to say about that move i'm uh it's safe to say i'm not a supporter of that but uh there's nothing nothing yeah. i can do about it right sitting from where i am no exactly and it's uh it's yeah it sucks <laughs> you know yep. it sucks it's all you can say is it sucks but uh the, the safest thing is to say that no i just it sucks and I, you know, I am looking forward and hopeful for the day that we don't have to have to deal with it anymore and we yeah. get to do yep. whatever I, uh, I, I hope that, yeah, I hope that comes soon because yep. I am killing a lot of having turkeys. Actually, you know, actually fun fact yesterday. So there is on Vancouver Island and, this, there may be a silver lining to come with me not being allowed to be out in the Kootenays turkey hunting right now, but um, my buddy and I, who's actually the vice president of my chapter, him and I were out whistling around near uh, Black Creek, BC, if you know where that is on the island. It's just a little bit north of uh, Courtney Comox. And we're bumping along by a farmer's field and i look out and there's two gobblers walking through the field no shit well there you go and there's i believe that they are feral birds um and i've known about them for a while now i've known that there is a a wild or a feral population of birds on the island but they're so it's such a weak population for the time being that it's I've never even thought about going for them. But I got a little bit of my turkey fix yesterday. I, I parked beside them. They were strutting in the field and we actually got to see a little bit of action. There were two hens with two jakes. Well, and actually the way it happened, we were driving along and I looked over and I was like, I'll be damned if that's not two long beards trotting through the field. <laughs> and what the hell <laughs> like there's really really nice long beards walking through the field here and duncan and i looked at each other like what yeah, um, there's there's no so, season for turkey on the island though is there there is actually oh there's is there a, right but it's it's worse than the coonies it's open season no bag limit no closed season um but I, i'm not entirely entirely positive that they are feral but you know i would almost believe that they might be just very loosely regulated someone's farm birds Mm. but they were i was seeing some pretty wild activity because we so we see these two long beards and we drove about a quarter kilometer up to the intersection and then just as i get to the intersection i'm looking left and right to turn out and i looked left and there's four more turkeys standing in the field there so i said okay, well, we're going to sit here and take a look at these. So I turned over, stopped, parked the truck on the side of the road and watched them. And it was two Jakes with two hens. And there was one Jake was definitely the dominant of the two. He was strutting and the other was just kind of pecking and the hens were talking. And I, I, I felt very embarrassed of all the times that I do 
I didn't have a diaphragm call in my truck. <laughs> I sat there and I kind of squawked at them a bit with my voice, you know, yelping a little bit. I mean, they gobbled a couple times and, but then anyhow, the two long beards that we saw running in the other field all of a sudden appeared at the edge of the field that these birds were in. And, uh, and so we actually got to see the show as the, the two boys who were with the girls, the men showed up and the men came in strutting and there was a little bit of tension there and they yeah. pushed them. And, and we actually got to see one of the Tom's breed, one of the hens. And, uh, and then they kind of all mucked off across the field and walked away. But it was, it was nice to get my little bit of, little bit of turkey action, heard some gobbling, saw some, saw some strutting, heard some drumming. It was, yeah, well, there might be a little bit of solace on your council trip after all. Well, exactly. And, and you know, honestly, it's kind of – my buddy saw one turkey years ago, two years ago. The same guy actually in about the same area saw one turkey walking on the road. It was a long beard like that. And uh, now, just this year, we saw those two hens, two jakes, and two long beards – and then actually, as we were driving away, I looked over to the side and there was one lone hen out in the field. And so I'm actually curious if maybe this population is beginning to boom. And it's, it's, it has very much actually sort of turned to my agenda now, like with the CWTF, like, hey, like, you know, maybe let's look into seeing what we can do, talk to these land landowners and see, you know, hey, is this, you know, are these your birds? Do you know where they came from? Do you know what the deal is with them? And yeah, and you never know. Maybe you'll be hunting them out there soon. Well, exactly. I'd, I'd love that. There's a great, a great little agricultural belt right near, um, right near between Courtney and uh, Campbell River. And then if you go a little north of Campbell River up to the Sayward Valley, there's a great little agricultural belt there too. And so it'd be, you know, I don't know how well turkeys would fare in the thick old growth, like the West coast old growth, but definitely in the agricultural belt here, if we could get a population going, that'd be awesome. Yeah. They're tough birds though, man. I've, I've seen them in places I would never expect to see them. Oh, absolutely. And they, and resilience to the cold and all that. The only thing that really bugs them is the snow. If you get enough snow that they can't scratch through, that's what really kills them. And, realistically on the island we'll get big dumps of snow but it's so wet you can just dig right through it like this yeah and i've come across i've been snowshoeing in the backcountry in the wintertime and i've actually come across turkeys inside of a tree well sitting down there where the snow doesn't get to just picking away down there oh really that's clever i never even thought of that but that makes total sense yeah they just hop back up top of the tree and got everything (laughs) they need there you go Okay, Richard, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun talking to you here today. Where can uh, where can everybody find information about the CW, CWTF and uh, and become members, and, and where can they find you and follow you? Uh, the easiest way for the CWTF is just go just Google Canadian Wild Turkey Federation, and there's the CWTF.ca, and uh, follow on Facebook and Instagram. There's just CWTF on both of those um myself personally i've got my instagram is tipper k22 and uh yeah you can find me on facebook as well too if you have a mess you know mess ask any questions and i can help point you in the right directions and yeah okay man that's uh that sounds great i'll uh i'll put all the information to uh you and your chapter and the cwtf and the show notes here and uh we'll stay in touch yeah perfect thanks i'd love to do it again sometime Okay, man. Talk to you later. Perfect. You take her easy.